Have you ever taken a minute to ask yourself, what has time done for me lately? Before we even get to what that might mean, look at that first sentence I said. I had to use a unit of time to ask the question, but what kind of time was I really talking about? When we say, I just need a minute, we're not talking about a literal 60 seconds. We just need enough time to get over it or calm down or move into a new state of mind. And people instinctively get that that's what you're talking about. There's a natural inclination to equate time with state of mind. Hold that thought. Back to the question, what has time done for me lately? I mean, it's pretty cool, but it can be inconvenient. A vacation ends before you're ready. A test comes up before you've really had time to prepare. There's two things you really want to do that are happening at the same time. Would there be a better way to live? Well, according to Swedenborg, there's a way to actually work to ease some of time out of our thoughts. And it can really be a boon to our spiritual growth. Plus, it's a great way to make sure you're not engulfed by a cosmic statue. Huh? What? Stay tuned. How to live in eternity now. Is anybody even searching for that on YouTube? I know people's like how to unclog your sink, but I don't know if anybody's ever Googled that. But we're going to answer the questions that nobody's asking here. We're, we're brave enough to do that. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'm the host. And if you want to be part of the conversation, get your questions in. As always, we'll make that part of our show at the end. We'll do an answer period and, and just see what comes up, see what we get. Today, we're going to be talking about spiritual time. What Swedenborg reported as the conditions of time in the spiritual world, of which we are all partial citizens right now, along with our physical bodies here in the physical world. And we're also going to talk about how God relates to time and how we can use the jettisoning of time as a a sort of a, a little bit of propulsion into our spiritual growth. So if that's interesting... Let's let's get to it. If that's not interesting, just watch anyway. It's good for our the minutes watched on our channel. All right, let's take a look at now part one. We gotta start at the beginning. If we're gonna talk about eternity and how to get rid of time and all that, we gotta know what we're talking about when we say time in the first place. And now I want to say that this show could be seen as. A companion show because we often hear the phrase time and space together. Have you guys heard that? I'm sure that's the thing people say time and space. Uh, we did a show about space or about spiritual space and we called that how to travel in the afterlife. This show is going to be focused on the time side of things, but you still will be hearing time and space paired together. Uh, that they are together in Swedenborg's works, and as we'll see, the people are starting to figure out, I think they're the same connected mass in the physical world as well. So this one, we're going to give you all the time, spiritual time that you can handle. Let's look a little bit at how we've, as human beings, seen time in this world. We had, you know, we'll start, let's start with Newton. He thought that time was this fixed, objective thing. It's always the same. But then we got to Einstein, who, who came up with this whole different theory. Oh, here, let me show you an article here. I'm moving my mouse around the screen. Uh, so we want to look at the fabric of time with Albert Einstein, particularly this paragraph. Uh, most everyone knows that Einstein proved that time is relative. And if you didn't know, sorry for embarrassing you there. Not absolute, as Newton claimed. With the proper technology, such, a, such as a very fast spaceship, one person is able to experience several days while another person simultaneously experiences only a few hours or minutes, which all you have to do in that scenario is you have to just uh, 
get a really fast spaceship. So anyway, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I once listened to Briefer History of Time by Stephen Hawking when I was in the car, and he was saying the same kind of, I sort of understand it. I mean, yeah, I mean, you go really fast and time slows down. But that's what they've been saying. That's what people have been uh, looking at. And from from this, we get this concept of this joining of, of where you're going and how that affects time. We get this concept of space-time, which is a cool sounding word, uh, but we'll give you a little definition of it here. It's just the concept of time and three-dimensional space regarded as fused in a four-dimensional continuum. Those are a lot of buzzwords. It just If you can talk about them as the same thing, they're all part of the same, like you can't untangle them from each other, then we're talking about space-time. And the cool thing, the reason why we're bringing up space-time on this show called Swedenborg and Life is that Swedenborg, way, way prior to this stuff that we've been talking about here, uh, was saying that, yeah, spiritually speaking, space and time are connected Spiritually and physically speaking, space and time are connected. So this is from his book, Divine Love and Wisdom, 74. And this is particularly talking about his spiritual experiences. As always, click this book. You can download it for free. There are many examples of the fact that as people move through space in the spiritual world, distances are equivalent to progress through time. So I told you we're going to talk about the two of them together. Paths there, meaning actually like paths you could walk on, are actually or correspondingly lengthened in response to eagerness, which is a matter of thought from affection. This is also why we speak of stretches of time. So we have a spiritual world. In that spiritual world, how you're feeling about a destination actually affects the length of the road there. And that filters down into our everyday thinking here in this world, which is why we say things like stretches of time. So that's the premise. And you notice how we said eagerness dictates how long these paths are. Uh, Swedenborg and modern science are saying that our psychological state affects our, not the actual time in the physical world, but our experience of that time. So here's Swedenborg's take, this is Heaven and Hell 168, bracket 3, or colon 3. Uh, it is known by some, the colon 3 is just a subsection, because some of these numbers are long, they have subsections. You can download this book and check it out for yourself. It is known by some that times are states in origin. Times are states in origin. We're going to get into that. Because they recognize that times are experiences experienced in precise accord with the states of affection we are caught up in. They are short when we are engaged in pleasant and cheerful pursuits, and long when we are engaged in distasteful and depressing ones, and variable when we are in hope or expectation. As a result, scholars are asking what time and space are, and some of them even recognize that time is an attribute of the natural person. Natural person meaning physical person, meaning person in this world. And interesting that he's saying in his day, scholars are trying to figure out what, what time and space are, and we're still trying to do that. I mean, that's that's still happening. But he also comments on how emotional states affect our perception of time passing. This is Divine Providence 49. Take the course of your thinking over 10 or 12 hours. I don't know if we really does, do any of you think for that long? Maybe this is a Swedenborg thing. No, just just your thoughts as you go throughout your day. Is it not true that this span of time can seem like one or two hours, and it can also seem like one or two days? It depends on the emotional state that underlies the thinking. If you are feeling happy with no awareness of the passage of time, the thoughts of 10 or 12 hours can seem to take one or two hours. And if you are feeling distressed and are conscious of the passage of time, it is just the reverse. We can see from this that time is simply an appearance that depends on the emotional state that gives rise to our thoughts. But why do we need to take this from a scientist turned mystic of 300 years ago? How do we know if he's telling the truth? Well, 
current research is finding the same thing. There was a study done on time perception uh, that we have a little article from. Uh, it's called Quirks in Time Perception. I'm going to subtle it, or I mean, uh, not subtle it, but I'm going to summarize it, but that's like a pretty good slip of the tongue, because like I'm going to take this and make it much more subtle. It's a long thing. I'm going to make it subtle. They surveyed these people who are taking this long flight. I think it was from maybe New York to Sydney, and they asked them about how the different hours of the flight felt, like how long it felt like they took, and nobody actually felt like each hour the flight was the same. And pretty uniformly, the beginning hours were quick, the middle ones were not, the end hours were long. It, nobody just felt like, oh, every hour was about the same because your state is different. You're, you're excited to be on the plane, you're anticip in anticipation of arrival, you're in this sort of nowhere land in the middle, and you don't even have to be on a plane. This is something we all experience from time to time. For example, I put a camera without um, Matt and Stewart, who work on our show, they didn't know, but I put a camera on the dashboard of their car that they were driving on the way to work here, and I caught them in two different emotional states, as you can see right here. Sometimes you're driving along and everything's going great, and <laughs> it feels like time is flying by, just flying by. It's, it's, uh, but then you get stuck in traffic, or maybe the realization hits that you're actually having to go work at the Swedenborg Foundation, and things just seem like they're crawling along. Uh, you, we know that. We have that feeling. It, it's, you know, the feeling of waiting in a doctor's office as opposed to waiting for What's the coolest thing I can think of? A birthday party to start. Um, there's a lot of difference in time. And we're still, as far as I can understand it, still scientifically trying to understand time here. We're still trying to come up with the best models to really understand what is physical time. There, People are still thro throwing out theories, and I don't just mean throwing out, but proposing theories like this. We came across one about time perhaps being if a superfluid. If space-time were a superfluid, would it unify physics? And from the little I read of that, it's a superfluid just means it has very little friction, but you could assign a fluid model to the whole thing, and that might make sense. So we're still trying to figure it out. And even Swedenborg dropped, back in his day, dropped particular hints sort of about time, seeming to indicate a much more complex nature uh, to it than, than we generally think of it. This is from his Journal of Spiritual Experiences, 361. He's talking about the significance of daily in the Lord's Prayer, you know, give us this day our daily bread. So he says, by daily in the Lord's Prayer is meant every moment. Daily means at each moment in sequence, one after another, but when in their order, one within another... When, so one within another, these moments of time. This sequence of moments is turned into an uninterrupted glorification of God the Messiah, so that the moments are continuous without any division. Hence they have an inner sense of the states of happiness, and it is their portion to receive these constantly from God the Messiah. So he's describing moments of time following one after another, but somehow you can stack them. They can all become one within another, instead of sequential, and in that there's a continual glorification of God. And I don't know if that's connected to the feeling that you get when you really lock in on the present and it, life just feels different. Like I, if something's happening and I decide I'm going to pay attention as hard as I can to each moment, you get this sense of, of completeness, and it's, I don't know why I don't do it more, but it's, it's really nice. Maybe this is part of it. I don't know. Um, there, so there's, there's a lot of potential interpretations of that passage. The point is, time is complex, and Swedenborg doesn't really make it his mission to explain to us what physical time is. He really says it's mostly a thing we're concerned with in this life, and it's really not something we're going to be concerned with 
forever. But here's a few things he says about why time is really a property of the physical world. The reason we have times in our world is that the sun seems to move sequentially from one zone to another and to make the times we call the seasons of the year. It also moves around the earth and makes the times we call times of day, and it does these by fixed periods. It is different for the heaven sun. It does not make years and days by sequential motions and rotations. It makes apparent changes of state, and it does not make these by fixed periods. This is why angels are incapable of having any concept of time, but have a concept of state instead. All right, we hit you with a few things, okay? First of all, he says at one point in that, the sun moves around the earth. He's just talking according to appearance. If you In Swedenborg's day, it was well known that the uh, earth is moving around the sun. He makes reference to that, but he's just talking about how it seems like the sun is moving around the earth, and that creates these things that we call days or afternoon is based on when the sun has passed its highest point. So there's that, but then also you saw that suddenly we switched into this person orbiting the sun, and you saw words that looked like emotions up there. We're beginning to get into state of mind, and that state of mind is spiritual time. This is something he found to be extremely true, <laughs> extremely, extremely true. Uh, those are funny words to put back to back. When he was having his spiritual experiences, time is state of mind on a spiritual level. And we're going to get to exactly what that means. But first, before we go explaining that, we got to convince you that it's worth considering that in the first place. So in our next section, we're going to talk about the limits of time-based thinking and why we might want to try to uh, shrug our way out of that. But before we do that, we got a fan video that was sent in. We thank you very much for it. Everyone else, send yours in too. So let's hear from somebody how Swedenborg's material, the ideas in it, has affected them. Hi, my name is Cynthia Farsadi, and I live in Los Angeles, California. Just to tell you a little bit about what Swedenborg means to me, um, it's kind of hard to do in two minutes or under two minutes, <laughs> but I'll definitely tell you that um, since finding this religion and since reading the writings, I have really discovered um, that I have a love for the truth and that I have a love for um, understanding what it means to live a life that is good. And I think Swedenborg really hones in on what it means to be a good person. I think that he's the most neutral about not needing to be of a certain, you know, race or class or any of that in order to um, really know what it means to have a relationship with God and to have that connection with other people. So I love um, Swedenborg's writings because I've been reading them for 17 years and I'm still not tired of them. I learn something new every time I pick up one of his books. Um, some of my favorites are Love and Marriage. Uh, I definitely love Heaven and Hell and Divine Providence. Um, I feel like his writings could fill an entire room, which I'm pretty sure that they do. And you would never you know, be tired of learning what it is that you're learning because there's just so much to gain from what he's sharing. Um, I'm just super grateful for this opportunity to share with you guys what Swedenborg means to me. He means clarity, he means trust, he means love, unconditional love. Um, his understanding of the deeper meaning of the Bible is the creme de la creme of what I think people 
could understand more of <laughs> and learn more of because I think that, you know, symbols are everywhere and correspondences are everything. Um, so that's definitely part of the reason why I'm super drawn to him and why I think this will always be my religion and I will never get tired of it. So thank you for listening and I um, look forward to watching you more. Bye. That's what I'm talking about. We, I love hearing that Swedenborg stuff makes a difference for people. Because otherwise, why are we here talking about the limits of temporal thoughts and the uh, the statues? Oh, spoiler alert, I'll get to those in a minute. But, so send yours in if you've been uh, moved by any ideas, if they've made a positive difference in your life. Speaking of differences, we're going to talk about uh, the differences in how life progresses in both the spiritual in the physical worlds. There was a lot of similarity between these two worlds, according to Swedenborg's experiences, but there were fundamental differences that, that at first might not seem that big, but actually, once you get into it, they are quite big. And we're going to look at what it's like to be living here with our kind of thinking based around time and try to think about spiritual topics through that mindset. Like, for example, what if we were trying to think of God, God lives forever, right? God is eternal. A lot of people are saying that. So wh what was God doing for all the time before anything was created? It's sort of weird, like what, what was God up to? That can kind of like stress you out, right? Let's say you were reading about that and it made your head do that, right? Well, you shouldn't feel so bad because there was another guy who was quite stressed out by thinking about this same thing and his name was... <laughs> uh, I jumped the gun on that whistle a little bit. Swedenborg himself got stressed out by this. And you might be saying, that's disrespectful. That's character assassination. How do you know that Swedenborg was stressed out by something like that? He was this great man. He knew everything. He wouldn't get stressed out by that. Here's his own words about how he was getting majorly bugged out by this. This is Heaven and Hell 167. He says, I was thinking about eternity once. And using a concept of time I could grasp, I could grasp what to eternity entailed, namely without end, but not what from eternity entailed, and therefore not what God did before creation from eternity. As my anxiety mounted because of this, so right there, I was raised into the sphere of heaven, and therefore into the perception of eternity shared by angels. This shed light for me on the fact that we ought not to think about eternity in temporal terms, but in terms of state. And that when we do, we can grasp what from eternity entails, which was actually done for me. So he was able to see somehow that there, it wasn't a period of time he was trying to think of. It was a state. There was this eternal present state of God that somehow there he was given this satisfying explanation of what was God doing before uh, everything else happened. But that might not be... Uh, an enticing enough carrot for us to hang in front of you here, because you might say, I never worry about that stuff anyway. Why should I try to think without time in my thoughts? Well, how about this? Well, how about we threaten you? <laughs> Temporal thinking is a trap, according to Swedenborg. It can cause our minds to become entangled. This is from Secrets of Heaven 8325. People who focus, and it's not totally a trap, but if you 
think about it too much. People who focus all their attention on the earthly plane have to believe that where time and space are absent, there is an absolute void and vacuum. So if they decide privately that they should not believe anything they cannot grasp, they obviously plunge into gross error. So if we say, nothing that hasn't happened to me can happen, and no conditions could exist that aren't the same as the conditions that I'm experiencing, then we're unable to really deal with some of the realities that we get hit with when we cross over to the other side. And unfortunately, for some people, this can lead to statues. Yep, just like we talked about in the beginning. Swedenborg describes some statues that he says, and you can see them here, and they are partly flesh and partly stone. Now, it might be that different parts of them are made of stone and the other parts are made of flesh. He doesn't specify. One potential is, have you guys seen Doctor Who? Uh, the, there's these statues that are still when you look at them, but when you look away, they can move, so sort of flesh, sort of stone. We don't know, but either way, they can lead to trouble when your thoughts are wrapped up in time. Here's Swedenborg describing it in Secrets of Heaven 8325. In the other world are seen two statues, partly flesh and partly stone located at the outer bounds of the created universe, out in front and toward the left. I hear that they gulp down people who ruminate on what the deity did from eternity before creating the world. The act of swallowing represents the fact that because we humans cannot help thinking in terms of space and time, we cannot extricate ourselves from the quandary on our own, only by the power of the deity. This is accomplished either by putting the rumination itself to flight or by removing the notion of time. So there you go. You got the uh, the stone statues sucking people up at the edge of the universe. Now, you notice it was only through the power of God that people can get out of that. And it was only by either stop not thinking anymore about these kind of issues when you're only thinking in this sense of time, or by taking time out of the thought and just thinking in terms of state of mind. Um, and... If, if that's not enough, if you, and before you get worried that you're going to get swallowed up by a statue, everything in the spiritual world is symbolic. You know, like there are representations in everything. So this is a symbol of how people's minds get caught up in certain ways of thinking when they don't believe that anything can exist outside their current world. It's a good, it's a good visual, though, to, to let us realize that, hey, man, you can really get trapped if you don't let bigger things in, and thinking beyond space and time, and we are going to get to how you do think beyond space and time, It, but it frees us up. This is what he says in Heaven and Hell 169. A natural person may believe that we would have no thought if concepts of time, space, and matter were taken away from us, that all our thought is based on these foundations. Let such people know, though, that thoughts are limited and constrained to the extent that they derive from time space, and matter, and that they are freed and expanded to the extent that they do not derive from such things. So, free is good, expanded is good, we like that, right? But how do you do that? How do you take time and space out of your thought? What does that even mean? It just sounds like a, a phrase or like some bad guru is just take time and space out of your... Well, we have a couple of, of thoughts on practical ways to apply this. As we were discussing this when we were writing this show, Chelsea, who writes on the show, said that there was a meditation that she had learned in practice, which may be participating in in this concept of taking time and space out of the thought. So here's her describing that meditation. What Swedenborg says about how we have more 
reality, like who we are, is something substantial that exists outside of the the life that we have in time and space, um, lines up really well with a meditation technique that I've been taught that's from the yoga tradition, specifically the line of Advaita Vedanta, but then stretches back, has roots from the Upanishads. And this meditation technique is called neti neti. And that means not this, not this, or not this, not that. So when you practice this meditation, you begin first by just coming in to your body into, you know, a quiet state with your eyes closed. And then you start to whatever sensations are arising um, inside of yourself, you bring the line, not this, not this into your mind. And you're basically saying, I am not this. As you do that, it might be that, um, you know, things from your environment that are rooted in time and space are part of the things that you're saying, not this, not that. So it might, the season of the year might be that it's warm. And so the sensation of heat is arising in your body and you're saying, I am not this. Or it could be, you know, all of these parts of yourself, your, even your identity that is within time and space. Like, I am not the age that I am from when I was born. I am not this person who was born to these parents or in this time in the world. So as you go deeper into meditation, your mind might bring up parts of yourself. You know, our mind is so quick to think about things that have happened in our past. And so memories might come to mind and you're to say, not this, I'm not this. And then thoughts about the future, concerns you have about the future might arise. And you say, I am not this, I am not this. And you're going, it can feel a little bit unnerving you know, to our minds to feel like, wait, if I'm not all of these things that root me in time and space, then what am I? But the power of this meditation is that as you go deeper and deeper, you're connecting into being itself. And then once you've connected into that, to come back down out of meditation into just the circumstances of your life, you are then bringing this sense of your connection to being itself into the elements of your life even the feelings that arise in, in meditation, you can be saying, not this, not that. And when you've had that practice, then during the day, if you get triggered by some circumstance in your life and some strong emotion arises, you have a sense that there's a part of you that can see that from a deeper place. You're not just limited into just reacting straight from whatever emotions arise inside of you. And so this neti neti meditation takes us out of who we are in time and space that we're so often just thinking that that's all that we are into this level of being and witness perspective that um that is always there inside of us and then to connect into that then we get to utilize this life and time and space that we have to an even greater potential and i think that it's also a technique that you can use if you're getting a deluge of, of negativity. If you're, I don't know if that ever happens to you, but sometimes your thoughts and feelings just start to gang up on you and we're like, we're really going to take you down now. This sort of, I'm not that, I'm not that. When it comes in, uh, it sort of erodes away all the handholds. So these, these negative forces can't get you down and just like, okay, I'm going to step back for a minute. I'm not that, I'm not that. Because the truth is already there, so so you don't got to worry about it. Um, anyway, those are a couple of thoughts. Great, great technique from Chelsea. We want to keep looking at what are the practical, what are the practical applications of this. So, so Morgan says that to expand, 
you got to let go of temporal matters. But what does that even mean, man? What does it mean? What are temporal matters in the first place? This is Divine Providence 2.15. He says, There are a great many temporal matters, but they all boil down to eminence and wealth. By temporal matters, I mean things that either die off in time or simply cease when our life on earth is over. By eternal matters, I mean things that do not die off and stop either in time or at the end of our life on earth. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. So it doesn't mean you're never supposed to think about clocks. It means you're not supposed to focus on things that don't last. However, that's hard to do because I really wanted to focus on breakfast this morning, and I'm glad that I did because without that, you know, I wouldn't be uh, full and focused like I am now, whatever, 12 hours later. So you got to have some focus, right? This is just uh, this is just part of life in the world. So how's he saying you've got to leave temporal matters alone? Well, how and, and how are you going to like manage your resources? How are you going to provide for a family? That kind of thing. Swedenborg doesn't leave us hanging on this, luckily. This is Divine Providence 220. He says, Wealth and resources are earthly and time-bound if we focus on them alone and on ourselves and them and look only for our own comfort and pleasure in both. But they are spiritual and eternal if we focus on the good we can do with them and look for a deeper comfort and pleasure in that good. In that case, even the outer comfort and pleasure is spiritual and the time-bound is eternal. So now we don't even have to take things out. We don't even have to have different things in our lives. We can still have the same things. It has to do with how we think about them what, and, and what our motivation is behind having those things and what about them gives us pleasure. Not even that you have to not be pleased by gaining wealth or getting nice things, but it's what's your leading reason for doing it. If at the core of things you're glad to do things because it's going to be of some service to somebody, then there's this deep, eternal joy in there. If it's just to amass your own reputation or wealth, that's all going to disappear. You know, those things don't follow us. Like breakfast this morning, if I'm just thinking about it's going to taste great, I don't taste it anymore. But if I'm thinking about this is going to nourish my body so that I can go do something helpful or do this show tonight, uh, that the, the not that the the nutrition will last forever but the act of doing something to help even to nourish your own body to take care of yourself doing it for a constructive purpose that's the eternal thing because god is eternal and god is all about doing constructive things and we're going to be looking at that further too but we promised we'd look at the difference between time and state because if we're supposed to be moving into this spiritual way of thinking about time as states of mind rather than seconds on a clock we better give you a pretty good definition of what state is and we're going to do that in part three angels and spirits everybody in this spiritual world that Swedenborg describes, they do experience what looks a lot like time. They do have sequences of events. One thing happens, then another thing happens. One thing can cause things. They do have changes that happen there. There's progress. There is meaning. There are loving actions that mean things. But there's not 
time like we think of it here, not rigid, what you could call clock time. Swedenborg talks about it in Divine Love and Wisdom 73. People in the spiritual world live with each other the way we do on earth, which cannot happen without some appearance of time. However, time there is not divided into segments the way it is in our world. It is actually the Lord's divine love that angels see as their son. It provides them with divisions that cannot be called divisions into time segments, only divisions of state. When it is state that determines time, time is only an appearance. A pleasant state makes time seem brief, and an unpleasant one makes it seem long. Okay, we can get that, right? State of mind affects time, but but he's saying that time in the spiritual world is only states. It's not we perceive time differently like we do here. There only is perception there. So it's still not totally clear, but to help us unpack it further, we, we got somebody who knows a lot about how time works in the physical world. Uh, he's the author of this book, Starting Science from God, Ian Thompson, who's a theoretical nuclear physicist. We've had him on before, but he is looking a little bit at Swedenborg's description of spiritual time and had some thoughts on how it differs from physical time. So here's what he had to say. Swedenborg has some very interesting ideas about the spiritual world because it's it's more than just a mystical unity in which everything is fixed. He, he says you can actually live and do things in the spiritual world. So that means that there is a kind of space in the spiritual world. You can move around and there's a kind of time that things happen one after the other. So the, the, there is a time in the spiritual world and there is a space in the spiritual world, but they're, they're slightly different from that in the natural world. And so they're not the same kind of space and they're not, not the same kind of time. They're not physical time, they're not physical space. The real difference is that in the physical world, we have a time which is continuous. It, it can, have, can measure it with clocks. You can measure it with repetitive structures. But in the spiritual world, time is not regular and, and um, paced out like that. In fact, it's very flexible time. You can always, between, between any two events in the spiritual world, someone can come and do lots and lots of things. There's no limit to what they can fit in, you know, before lunch, so to speak. Well, while someone else is thinking in the spiritual world, lots of other people can insert lots of thoughts and a whole lot of ideas of their own. So th- there's, it, there's a different kind of structure there. In the, in, the, in the physical world, you know, there's so much, there's only so much you can do in a second. Atoms vibrate at a certain rate, clocks, computers, thoughts go at a certain rate in the, in the natural world. But in the spiritual world, there's an enormous amount of flexibility. You can, you can fit in as much as you like. So just how much could you fit into a second in the spiritual world? We may have an answer from uh, somebody who wrote a near-death experience book. Her name was Natalie Sudman, and she was a civilian contractor who was traveling with the United States military in Iraq, and her vehicle hit an IED, like a roadside bomb, and she had this near-death experience. And she was only out, she thinks, for like five seconds because she woke up right after the bomb hit, so there was just a short time. But within that, she had this incredibly expansive spiritual experiences. We're going to read just a teeny little quote from her book about that. It's called Application of Impossible Things. She says, this is during her experience, I retreated to a deep place on what I'll refer to as another vibrational dimension to recuperate and restore energies. Other beings assisted with this, doing most of the work while I entered a sort of spiritual deep rest state. From the physical perspective, this state lasted an equivalent of centuries within less than a moment. So she's claiming that it was just out long enough for her body to react to being hit by this bomb. But, that, but within that time, in the spiritual world, you could fit you know, almost limitless 
things into there, what felt like centuries, just in that one little part. So that's very, very different time than we have here on this world. However, Ian was noticing that there are, there is a little bit of a similarity between spiritual time and physical time, and he talked a little bit about that here. We think of that, from the physics point of view, that's interesting, because this, that means that the space in the spiritual world is kind of elastic. You can stretch it out, or you can compress it. Things can go very quickly or very slowly, it appears, in the spiritual world. And from the physics point of view, that's interesting to me, because in the, there's something in the physical world which is a little bit like this. Because Einstein's idea of gravity was that gravity is not just a strange force that makes things, you know, masses attract each other. But Einstein's idea was that the space and time in the, in the physical world is actually very slightly elastic on its own. So that the space and time is not uniform. So that means that he says gravity is because the natural, the shortest distance that an object goes in the physical world is actually slightly curved because the space is slightly curved into the physical world. And so the shortest distance for the Earth to go is actually in a circle around the sun. This is very similar. There's a sort of a correspondence between what Einstein is talking about there with gravity. In the spiritual world, space and time are very elastic. And in the physical world, space and time are very slightly elastic. There's, there's, the principles are similar, but the amount of elasticity, so to speak, is quite different. There's a, from, the, from the Swedenborg's point of view, we would say that there's a correspondence between love in the spiritual world and gravity in, in the natural world, because the, mass, the masses deform space and time in the physical world, and that corresponds to love deforming space and time in the spiritual world. And so, therefore, it's very interesting to me that there must be this, the discrete degrees must operate in a similar way, although on quite different kinds of substances. And if we're lucky, we'll end up doing a show about that. The love as gravity, the, the, the same role that gravity plays in the physical world, love plays in the spiritual world. So, Ian, an- answer my calls about that one if I call you. Um, thanks very much for that. Um, we're going to look now at how angels think about time, because angels are in the spiritual world, as Swedenborg describes it. And he says that angels don't think in terms of time, they think in terms of state, like we've been saying, this is heaven and hell, 165. Since angels have no concept derived from time, as as we in our world do, they have no concept of time or of the things that depend on time. They do not even know what all these temporal things are, like a year, a month, a week, a day, an hour, today, tomorrow, or yesterday. When angels hear these expressions from one of us, Angels are always kept in contact with us by the Lord. They perceive states instead, and things that have to do with state. So our natural concept is changed into a spiritual concept with the angels. So somehow, angels are aware of us, and aware of things that we're talking about, or or somehow, what we're, what we're saying is getting through, but not directly. There's like this correspondential change. And Swedenborg describes this in a lot of different settings. He says it works the other way in dreams. He talked. We talked about this in our dream episode. Uh, he was having a dream, and he found out that it had directly followed the conversation of these angels, but through correspondences. So what they were talking about in a spiritual way, natural equivalents showed up, and we'll show you a, a direct correspondence in a minute when we get to this diagram here. But first of all, we keep talking about state. What does state even mean? Have we defined it yet? Let's see if we can do it here, Heaven and Hell 154. 
By the changes of angel states, we mean their changes in regard to love and faith, and therefore in regard to wisdom and intelligence, to the state of their life, that is. Angels are not constantly in the same state as to love, and constantly they are not, and consequently they are not in the same state as to wisdom. For all the wisdom they have is from their love and in proportion to it. Sometimes they are in a state of intense love, sometimes in a state of love that is not intense. It decreases gradually from its most to its least intense. When they are in the highest levels of level of love, they are in the light and warmth of their lives, or in their greatest clarity and delight. Conversely, when they are in the lowest level, they are in shadow and coolness, or in what is dim and unpleasant. From this latter state, they return to the first, and so on. The phases follow each other with constant variety. And this is just like something we experience on Earth, but we experience it externally and physically. Let's go to a diagram. So, we've got ourselves the sun. It moves, it seems to move, across the sky, and it creates these conditions that you may be familiar with, morning, noon, evening, night, based on the positioning of the sun. This is what creates these kinds of moods, these kinds of lightings, everything that goes with these states of the day in our world. Swedenborg says that angels experience the same kind of thing, but it's dictated not by the movement of a sun, but by emotional state. So their morning is excitement, their midday is happiness, contentment, their evening is thoughtfulness, and their night is being distressed. And now in heaven, you don't quite go all the way into night, you have sort of a twilight kind of thing. But the, but the point is, when you're feeling each of these emotions, the surroundings around you appear as if they're in the corresponding physical state. So if you're really excited about something, things would look like morning. They would have that feel of morning. Uh, and if you're in your, your, something's causing you to be pensive, you may get this evening lighting around you. So really, time there what what would be time here is dictated by state of mind there. So we're all citizens of the spiritual world, as I said before, in that we have a spirit in a body, right? The thinking, feeling part of us is a spirit. And so we have some premonition that this is the way that spiritual time and seasons work. And so people are noticing that and they're integrating into books that they write. For example, this, there's a book called The Four Seasons of Marriage by Gary Chapman. He's the guy who wrote The Five Love Languages, if you guys knew that. And he said that after studying people's marriages, their relationships, he found that relationships go through seasons. And these are not seasons dictated by time, but by state. And these are the, the seasons of marriage that he described. He said there was, you know, spring, summer, autumn, and winter, and that spring is when the relationship is hopeful and open. Summer is when the partners are feeling satisfied and comfortable. Autumn is when there's uh, negligence and uncertainty. And then winter is when they're feeling distant and dissatisfied. And like seasons really do, they rotate, you know, but you can, you know, after it's winter, it doesn't mean the thing's over, but you're moving back towards the spring, hopefully. And those obviously aren't dictated at all by physical time. You could have a spring that lasted four years and a winter that lasted four months or something like that. It's not, it's all state of mind that dictates that sort of thing. So that's one example, but this idea really sort of permeates media. If you you guys have, have you seen or read Chronicles of Narnia, the first book, The Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, there's this witch and she brings with her winter to the land. She shows up in the land, the land has winter. But in the way the story is told, 
it's not just that there's snow and coldness. People's minds and hearts are affected. Everybody's suspicious of each other. Everyone has animosity. So there's this, this, the physical and the correspondence are presented simultaneously, that it's winter physically, but then also there's a winter inside. You know, there is this, these kind of cold states there. And we actually, on this channel, did a video about this symbol, symbolism of winter and spring as reflecting states of the human mind and heart, because it's a theme throughout Swedenborg. We thought we'd play it. It's an old clip. You probably haven't seen it because we released it like 40,000 years ago. So this is, this has to do with the correspondence of the seasons uh, that we see out in the world with the seasons in the heart and mind. I want to say welcome to the flowers. It's nice to see you. It's been an especially cold winter. And lately, it's been cold for the people too. We're cold in the way we talk, cold assessments of each other, cold comments. You'd be surprised how much ice can linger in the heart. Cold calculating motivation. Cold between people, between groups, between countries. Sometimes the winter just drags on. Which is why I'm so glad to see you, and to know that not so long ago, this same spot was buried in ice. Swedenborg said that the mind, too, blooms like a flower when we understand. And isn't it understanding that heals? An understanding between two, or an understanding of what it's like to be the other, and then watch as the blooming of humanity fills what was lifeless and gray with beauty. And while these flowers in the ground will come back every year, ours wait on us. We have to open before they will. But take heart, because although we now look out and we find apathy and blame and scapegoating and cruelty and fields of ice, there is a potential in our soil, through light and through warmth. And I see a day when the deadness is gone, and there's more than arguments and wars and frozen earth. I see a day when it's nothing but flowers, as far as you can possibly see. trying to do there is to show the example of correspondences informing that you have these internal states, apathy, coldness towards people. But you know from looking at the physical, these cold states do end and they turn into spring, which is this time of renewed growth and hope. So that's what we're trying to communicate there is that we can learn things about what's inside us from what's outside of us. That's the whole principle of correspondences. Let's look at another diagram. This is uh, the uh, difference between us and angels, and this is how those correspondences show up. So when we're thinking about, Swedenborg says, childhood or mourning or spring, angels think about an initial state when a project, organized effort, level of relationship, or phase of life or learning is just beginning. That is their spring. That is their morning, as dictated by their consciousness. When we think about youth, or about summer, or about midday, the angels have in their mind fulfillment. When a project, organized effort, level of a relationship, or phase of life and learning comes to fruition, and active usefulness. And when we're looking at the fall, angels think about decline. Swedenborg uses that word. But he, here we, we think about uh, maturity or 
evening or autumn, something like that, angels are thinking about when a project, an organized effort, a level of a relationship or phase of life and learning has fulfilled its usefulness and is starting to wind down. Now, that doesn't mean there's not useful things to be done. There's all kinds of beauty in autumn. And I just was talking to somebody who was, you know, less than a decade away from their retirement, and it really got them thinking, okay, I can't just be doing every. I got to really think, what do I really want to do before the end of this phase here? How do I really want to make that count? And there's that same sort of mindset in autumn. And then finally, when we're talking or thinking about night or old age or winter, the angels think about the end when a project, organized effort, level of relationship or phase of life and learning comes to an end. There's not really ends though, because we know we're talking about when we grow old, the whole premise of Swedenborg essentially is that we go on to the next life. You know, there's something else there uh, that we we deal with. You know, so it's everything is the beginning of something new. But there are these discernible states that we move through, and that this these are not just mental curiosities in the next world. This really is, this is what causes the seasons there. And angels are going through these seasonal cycles and they're these day-night states all the time, or, or you know, day-to-twilight day states all the time, and they do it as a community, you know, together, Swedenborg says, groups of angels will go through this together, but they also do it as individuals, and because spiritual time is not static, you can have one person right next to someone else, but this person is in morning while this person is in evening, or this person is at noon while this person is just about at night. So you, you do, not everybody is doing the same time of day at the same time, because not everybody's state is the same. And that's here, it can be a beautiful day out, but you're feeling terrible. Or you can be feeling great, even though it's, you know, 38 and raining. You know, there is this obvious disparity between what's going on, but there it's not like that. You know, it, it's like a, more like a movie where the scenery matches the mood of the moment. And so angels do have these fluctuations, but wouldn't, wouldn't you wonder why? Um, isn't heaven devoid of rainy days and um, darkness? Is, isn't that why it's heaven? Well, there is still this fluctuation, and Swedenborg says, here's the reason why, or, or a couple other reasons why. The reasons that angels still have fluctuations in this state is one, that the proprium, which is a, another way you could say the ego or the negative parts of of them from while they were people in the world still exists, and sometimes it acts up. It's just like we can get triggered. There are times when it's coming up for angels too, not in the same way that it comes up for us, not with the same severity, but it is there. Also, going through fluctuations of lower and higher self serves as an ongoing purification process. This is how you never stop getting better. You're always improving, Swedenborg says, forever. So this is a part of that. And if those first two weren't built into it, life would be boring without variety. We think, oh, we just want it to be great all the time. If it was always the same great all the time, you wouldn't even, you'd become so numb to it. You wouldn't even enjoy that. And he makes that point in the last one. Experiencing greater and lesser happiness results in more appreciation of goodness and joy. So the only way that you can really get the depth of happiness that you end up getting in heaven is by knowing both sides. And that's the point. That's the point of it all, is depth of happiness and satisfaction in being able to do things that mean things. And that that's heaven. So that's part of the, the cycles for angels. Not, not like we have here, much more enjoyable there, but still cycles. And part of as part of a result of being purified by these cycles, angels are able to find eternity 
in the present. Swedenborg describes it in Secrets of Heaven 1382. He says, People cannot understand divine eternity except in terms of eternal time. A true picture of God's eternity is instilled by ways of the idea that the passing of thousands of years seemed like no time to angels. It is almost as if they had lived for just a moment, and in their present they have both past and future. For this reason, they do not worry about events that are yet to come. They never think about death, but only about life. Thus, for them, every present moment contains the Lord's eternity and infinity. So they are completely fulfilled in the present moment. Not that they can't recollect the past very well or have premonition, but they're totally satisfied. Everything is culminating in the present. It's not like, in a couple years, then I'll really get my life going. Everything is happening now in heaven, because God is in that present and bringing that to them. And speaking of God, let's see, how does how does the deity fit into time? And how does, when can you talk about time when you're relating to God? We're going to find out in part four. It's supposed to be a pun, because omnipresent means everywhere, but we're talking about everything being the present moment. So, um, you know, you can rate that cleverness one to ten. Just do that in the comments. Would much appreciate it. Thanks. Um, all right. So Swedenborg says that God is in all time, non-temporally. So what does that mean? This is Divine Love and Wisdom 75. Now, since the segments of time that are proper to nature in its world are nothing but states in the spiritual world, so we've tried to explain that, hopefully you guys get what that means by now, and since these states come to view sequentially because angels and spirits are finite, it stands to reason that they are not sequential in God, because God is infinite. The infinite things in God are all one. It then follows from this that divinity is present in all time, non-temporally. So, there's not past and present and future to God. It's all present, which seems a little bit crazy, but probably befitting an omnipotent being. Um, that could seem a little hard to grasp. Let's ask the angels how they grasp it. This is Heaven and Hell 167. Since angels have no notion of time, they have a different concept of eternity than we earthly people do. By eternity, angels perceive an infinite state, not an infinite time. So don't think of God as like zipping around through history or spanning a large amount of time. To God, everything is present. There's no such thing as as time to God in that way. God is just already there by the time you'd get there, has already been there the whole time. They're obviously graspable only at certain levels and very different from us. We're the opposite of that, pretty much, because we're finite. We experience moments one at a time. How can some finite people like us, how could a finite guy like me connect with an infinite God? How does that mechanism work? Swedenborg talks about it in Divine Providence 2.18. He says, "We keep We keep temporal and eternal matters separate, but the Lord unites them. This is because everything about us is time-bound, so that we ourselves may be called time-bound. Well, everything about the Lord is eternal, so that the Lord is called the eternal one. Time-bound things are the ones that have a limit and that perish, while eternal things are the ones that have no limit and do not perish. The time-bound separates the eternal from itself, while the eternal unites the time-bound to itself. But how does that work? Oh, oh, sorry guys, I got a package that just got delivered here. Thanks! A present for me! I just got this present. This, oh, this is really beautiful. Let me show this to the camera. Can you guys see it? Whoa, whoa, whoa! I broke it. Just broke the present. 
the present is no more. So the present was time bound, right? Because even if I didn't smash it right then, it was going to deteriorate, enter a landfill at some point. So is that it? Is that the whole story? No, because as we were just reading in that quote, (laughs) I wonder what was in my present. Uh, There is a uniting of the temporal and the eternal from God. So the temporary stuff is the present, the material itself. But the eternal is that nice, really, really nice person that gave me that package. I'm sorry you guys couldn't see him on camera. Um, They have done something where they tried to genuinely make me happy. That affects their spirit, and the spirit lasts forever. So their decision to, you know what, Curtis might want a present right in the middle of his show. I'm going to give him one. Uh, That is, a, is an act of, of caring, and that they went through the time to wrap it and give it, that's going to stay with them. And then on my end, if I'm truly humbly accepting this and experiencing gratitude, that's the other side of love. So I'm feeling that, and that has a lasting effect. And it may bring the two of us closer together, that may have a lasting effect. So even though the present is gone, there are eternal things. So there was both temporary and eternal things wrapped together. If there was no present, you know, if, if they just come in and put their hands out, that wouldn't have done it. But you need that temporary thing to to get these eternal things to go. So they're, they're definitely united to each other. So that's one way to do it. But what's what's the most potent way to unite time-bound and eternal things? Well, we're, this whole show is about how to live in eternity. So how do we do it? This is Divine Providence 2.20. The union of temporal and eternal matters in us is the Lord's divine providence. So that the whole of God's governance of the human race is about uniting these things. Through his divine providence, the Lord unites himself to what is physical through what is spiritual, and to what is time-bound through what is eternal, doing so according to acts of service. The physical and time-bound things we are talking about are not just those that are proper to the physical world, but those that are proper to us in this physical world as well. We divest ourselves of both when we die, and put on corresponding spiritual and eternal things. We put them on according to our acts of service. So according to the way that we do loving things, like give somebody a gift, or Swedenborg defines this often as like, uh, you know, giving, doing your job with the intent of helping the human race, giving time to some kind of cause, doing something really constructive for people, that's an act of service, and that is eternal, because the intent to make others happy, that comes from God, and God is this infinite. And if that still seems nebulous, let's take a look at a diagram that never let us down before. So this is how the eternal can enter the time bound in jobs and tasks. So there we've got our two heroes there, and they're shaking hands because they're making a deal, right? So the the time bound part of this is, you know, maybe there's a bonus to the reputation of the business. There's financial issues that that are going to be solved by this. There's out of outer forms of projects and organizations. Those are the the immediate physical reasons that this is being done. However, there can be eternal reasons inside these reasons. That would be if the real, the, the deepest reason why these people are making this deal is some kind of service contributing to a greater good, it, that can be eternal. That It can be eternal the way that they learn to do that and the service they do. These things can be eternal. Also, any the teamwork and connection that comes about, group learning and growth, making a positive impact, this stuff 
can be forever. Right along, it, it begins right alongside the temporal stuff. The two are together, but this stuff stays. Let's talk about relationships, how the eternal enters the time-bound relationships. Let's say these guys have been buddies since they were in, in elementary school together, and now they go and, you know, walk on clouds every once in a while. <laughs> they have the external features of their relationship, their outer sort of habits, agendas, um, the, the the sort of things that happen to them on a day-to-day basis, so I got to go to the dentist, so I can't walk today. But there's this internal component to the whole thing as well. The the service, the helping and supporting each other, if one of them's going through a hard time, if somebody needs something, that is love, and that is forever. And the, the love and friendship, the learning and growth, the positive impact these guys can make on each other, that can last. Even somebody who is only in your life for a short time can make a lasting impact. Um, and, you know, some even some relationships you cultivate here can last forever. So there's all kinds of connections that can be made. There can be these eternal components within the time-bound stuff. Um, you know, that's one of the benefits. All that stuff is some of the benefits of getting at the eternal within the time-bound. And also, uh, we can get closer to God by doing acts of service, right? by, by doing these sort of internal things. And the closer we get to God as a sort of positive feedback loop, that frees us from the limits of time. And Swedenborg describes this in Divine Love and Wisdom 77. Divinity is the same in the largest and smallest things. There are larger and larger and smaller and smaller spaces. And since space and time are indistinguishable, the same holds true for segments of time. The reason divinity is the same in all of them is that divinity is not changeable or inconsistent like everything that involves space and time or nature. It is constant and unchanging, so it is everywhere and always the same. This for angels is eternity, which transcends time the way the uncreated transcends the creature or the infinite one transcends the finite. There is no ratio whatever between them. So any amount of time can be useful. So don't worry about if you feel like, oh, I'm developing spiritually slowly or something like that. The divine can work within any block of time just as well as any others. Everything's going to be okay. So we talked about that. Uh, Now let's give you a little bit of this how do you do the eternity now thing. A couple of final thoughts for you in the last section. So we have these physical time segments that we deal with now, Uh, these cycles that we've talked about, the sun and the earth and how they interact and how that creates days and seasons and everything like that. And that stuff is useful. Uh, It matters, obviously, here. It makes a big difference. But also, uh, it matters, you know, as a teaching tool. This is a symbol of the things that will stay with us forever, even if this particular method uh, of time demarcation doesn't persist. But it is what well, part of what we are trying to do is replace the time bound with the eternal. That's part of the divine order that God is leading us toward. This is divine providence 219. Time bound things are all the properties of the physical world and therefore all of our own properties. The pr- primary properties of the physical world are space and time, both of which have limits and boundaries. In contrast, eternal things are all the properties of the Lord and the things from the Lord that seem to be ours. 
The properties of the Lord are all infinite and eternal, beyond time, therefore, and consequently without limit and without end. Their derivatives that seem to be ours are likewise infinite and eternal, but nothing of them really belongs to us. They simply belong to the Lord within us. And the, the upside of that is you have God in you right now, and some of these things that we experience every day, these little bits of love and desiring to be helpful, these little joys that we get, these are actually eternal things. It's not like we leave everything behind. We're experiencing these things now. It's just those things growing. And for us, it's about looking for what are, how can I sort of sift out and focus on these eternal love-based things rather than the, the the baggage and the fluff that we go through in life that's not really going to stay. There was a scholar uh, of Swedenborg and of other religions named Wilson Van Dusen. He said we can look for what's eternally significant in each moment. He wrote about it in uh, one of his books, which we're going to quote for you now. Uh, this is his. This was called the Design of Existence. He said the eternal is not endless time. Neither time nor space exists in heaven because they are part of this lower material world. For the word eternity, substitute the term living in significance. Thus, looking at significance in the everyday is a preparation for eternity. By considering our present life in spiritual terms, we can begin to open up to the experience of heaven. And heaven can be right here, right now. It's a state of mind, as Swedenborg described, so now you really know what a state is. So looking for the significant in these moments and, and the love in these moments you can find what's eternal, even in looking for things like new beginnings, because God is always bringing about new things. So even though each new beginning is a finite thing, there always are going to be new beginnings with us. Those are a couple of thoughts to load into your mind as we play for you this clip of a couple different readings from Swedenborg's different works, all relating to this idea, though, of the significance of the eternity in the things all around us. So here are a few closing thoughts on the subject for you. It has not yet been realized that divine providence focuses on our eternal state at every step of our journey. It cannot focus on anything else, because divinity is infinite and eternal, and what is infinite or eternal or divine is not in time. Every split second of our life carries with it a series of consequences that continues forever. Each moment is like a new starting point for another series. And this is true for each and every moment of life, in both our intellect and our will. In the childlike stage of human rebirth, spiritual qualities are present in potential, since spiritual life gradually advances with each stage, starting with an egg. Childhood serves as a kind of egg for adolescence, which serves as a kind of egg for young adulthood, which serves as a kind of egg for full adulthood. It is as if we are constantly being born. Right now, you're being born, and that's that's a permanent. So it's never going to be, oh, now we've got to the afterlife. Now we're in heaven. Now it's just like things are pretty static from here on out. It is always changing as drastically as the change was from you know us being in the womb to being here. There's always exciting things ahead, and we can hop on that train anytime by really getting ourselves you know, looking at this eternal view, because that's the view we're going to be looking at eternally, and it's it's more varied and nuanced than what we have here. It's more fun, and it's more exciting, and it keeps getting better and better. Not that bad of a deal. If you want another great deal, like and subscribe this video. In return, you will get our like videos whenever they come out, and you'll know 
that you helped us spread on YouTube, and that hopefully is an eternal thing, like you trying to help us out, like, you know, the, the uh, oh, those poor guys need some help, <laughs> here you go, click, click, appreciate it, if you want to support this programming, we run off donations, we're a nonprofit. here's a little bit about our philosophy, and then we're going to get to your questions. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we produce this show and other content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins. That video is out of date. I was looking at it. It says like 29,000 subscribers. We passed 40,000. Thank you to all of you for making that happen. Really appreciate it. And as a reward we'll answer some questions right now let's take a look what do we got how'd you guys like time and space this is mary i would not like to lose myself as to who i am so would god also want each of us to be as we have developed ourselves the interesting thing that swedenborg says is the more that we move into heaven actually um, before i go talking about heaven i do want to say i totally get what you're saying you don't want to lose yourself and that's an innate human thing and that's how we were designed and that's how we're supposed to be and that because that's the way that happiness can be imparted to us as we feel like we are our own specific person you know that's the way you can receive most happiness according to swedenborg so back to the heaven thing in heaven the more you move into heaven, the more you realize, you know, God is everything, this is great, but the more you feel like yourself and like you are your own person. He's, he makes that claim that the more, as we go, we feel, like right now, you feel like you're yourself, Mary, but it's not like you're headed for becoming less and less Mary. You will, you know, we, we're not, we can't talk in terms of time, but a thousand years from now, you'll feel much more like yourself than you do today. According to Swedenborg. So, certainly, God is interested in us being ourselves, and God is not trying to undo things or, or wipe us out or anything like that. Um, and we all become more and more our unique uh, selves because we we have this ability to be this particular embodiment of love and wisdom that nobody else can be, and that's the whole point of having so many people in the human race, because we all play these very specific different roles that creates this greater whole. So, yeah, absolutely, no one's going to lose themselves. We're just going to find more and more of ourselves and just keep coming into that more and more forever. So, that's cool. Thanks for the question. Next one. Nick Nick, is time limited relative to a physical body as opposed to a spiritual one? <clears throat> is is time limited relative relative to a physical body as opposed to a spiritual one in the physical world? Um yeah, so there's there seems to be sort of dual time. If you're talking about like, you know, we, we because we have both in us, you know, spirit and body is one experiencing time in one way and another experiencing time in another way. I was just talking to somebody today about this episode and they were talking about dreams. And that's sort of this crossover where, you know, our physical body is reacting as we're waking up. You know, all these dreams are crammed in, but yet they go really, really fast. So there is sort of this spiritual and physical at the same time. We saw that a little bit in the plane. Um, so it seems like... Um, 
time, there's a limit imposed by the physical, but the spiritual is also imposing some of itself on us. Uh, so if I if that's what your question was, then hopefully I answered it. It probably wasn't, and I probably didn't, so thanks anyway. <laughs> All right, next one. Let's take a look at our at Monica's. Hi, do angels have a sense of humor? Do they play j- pranks or make inappropriate jokes? Uh, I do think they have a sense of humor, because didn't Swedenborg say that heaven is cool, and <laughs> what are you going to do if you don't laugh there? And everything good is coming out of God. So it's got to be that that funniness, humor, is coming out of God, and is is really tr- we're, we're sort of getting the the w- watered down version here. Things are probably funnier in heaven. Um, I, I, as far as pranks or making inappropriate jokes, like I would, it depends on what your definition of those things are. I would imagine that angelic humor would not want to pick out a victim. Um, because it would rather self-deprecate or uplift everyone or something like that. I'm not sure. I have never heard angels' jokes. I would imagine that there's not like an enticement. If you're talking about inappropriate, like we're going to say something crude or something, there's not that draw, um, but but I don't know, because there wouldn't be the same potency that we have here, because we have this sort of inclination to want to make fun of things that are sacred. But they're they wouldn't. But I don't want to paint it as it would be like lifeless and stiff. I'm sure it's more funny, and there's there's probably some edge to it, but I just think it would be a clean edge. And what, do, you, do you know what I'm talking about? Anyway, Ida, Swedenborg talks very little about the humor of angels, believe it or not, but I bet it's there, and I bet it's all over the place. And you just think about, think about you've been with fr- your friends, and you're laughing about something that is an inside joke, or it's hard to replicate, but it's just so funny to you. I'm thinking of one in particular now uh, about this thing that flies off the table. You guys who are there know what I'm talking about. Man, that was funny. And I imagine heaven is like that times infinity. Like you could just, the funniest things could happen there. My thoughts may not be true. Okay, let's look at the next one. This is Bailey31909. Any idea what is happening when you have events in your life that make it seem like time stops for a few seconds? Is it the spiritual and physical worlds connecting? That's a great question, and I would have to say so. I mean, because how else could there be a mechanism there that allows that? That Yes, people in crises have reported really slow time, like that they can see everything really... um, crystal clear and they can make decisions way faster how could that be unless there was unless there was this flexible time that we were actually on because you know isn't there a limit to how fast your neurons could fire and everything if it was all physically based i would think that there's a connection there that we're seeing and we're doing what ian thompson was talking about cramming all these things into one spiritual moment even though it's a very very short slice of physical time. So I think that that's great. Do we have any more? Is that it? Or Okay, there we go. <laughs> Introvert, introvertant. So what happens if a person has had a lot of trauma, etc., etc.? Are negative things eternal too? No, I don't think so. We don't, that said, we don't lose anything totally. Swedenborg talks about it in terms of, you know, the good and evil in us. We never completely jettison anything. It's just, and that's fine, because everything we've ever done or experienced is part of, makes us who we are. However, it's all about what's on the center and in our conscious experience and what's dormant and out on the periphery. Uh, That Swedenborg says, heaven, the reason, you know, we talked about angels going through these positive and negative states is because every once in a while, the negative things 
in them come up. However, you're not really talking about negative things like, uh, I have a temper. You're talking about uh, people who have been through terrible things. And I think that stuff, while it won't ever be like you, you know, it never happened, I think that healing will be complete. I think actually you will find, people will find more strength in that area than even if the thing hadn't happened. So somehow it will not just be completely healed, but let healed existentially. And you, there will no longer be any fear or, or regret or despair around the thing. I think there'll be total peace and healing and happiness in whatever area that is. And I think that that's probably one of the main things that heaven is doing, is healing all the trauma that people have gone through in this world and, and the knowing how to process it and make sure. Because there's no, God would never allow you to receive eternal wounds if, if you didn't want them. Like, why? That that wouldn't, he should have protected us from it. No, I, I think that, that we're never going to, we're not going to live forever drugged down by things like that. I think that there's there's a healing process. The things that we that that we keep working on are more like um the the struggle with the ego and that kind of thing. But as far as the wounds, those I bet there's real good spiritual technology to to get those healed and get us feeling happy and free. Uh, like we would all be feeling if there wasn't so much messed up stuff in the world. So, thanks very much for the question. Hope hope that makes sense. All right. I think that that's our show for today. How'd you like it? Hope you did. We're going to be back next week. Uh, next week is Halloween. There's a thing in a couple of countries. I don't know if it's worldwide or not, that, where you go around and give candy and stuff, and you know, members of our staff are participating in that. We're still going to have a show for you. It's just going to be posted rather than live, so that the trick or treating can happen. Uh, but we'll be. But it'll be a Halloweeny sort of episode because we're going to be looking. Next week, at the same time, the video will be ready, so you can get right on and watch it right when you watch this one. We'll be looking at how spirits are connected to your health. So if you want to learn that, check us out next week. Hope to see you then. Mm -hmm.